turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You see how easy it is to slip into the flesh, to be governed by a principle of self-interest and to forget that we are ambassadors for grace in the world and that the troubles and circumstances of our lives become the divine opportunity to share the living Christ. And it is not human to think that way. And I had to struggle with this. And so I began the journey of a difficult fix that was not about me altogether, but about the eyes in Christ's eyes that matter as much as me. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, Behold the Lamb. That's Behold the Lamb, and we will bring you the first portion of this broadcast today. Don't forget, you can always find these messages and many more online at reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart. No one likes car trouble. Have you ever had car trouble? Anybody here struggle with car trouble? No one likes it. I'm no exception. My car trouble started just after Christmas in earnest. This cold wave came in. It hit hard and it bit and it went to the bone. I had this long Arctic coat that I had to put on this Christmas because it was just cold to the bone. And this Arctic wave, you can feel it so bad that it affects your car and everything else. The oil is sluggish. So it's a good idea when it gets cold to warm your engine up before you kind of drive off so you don't damage your engine. How many of you take time to warm your engines up? In Michigan, we learn that. You warm your engine up. And so it was one of these mornings just before New Year's Day that led to this year when I needed to warm up the engine. I did. When I started this time, it started clunking along in a staggered kind of way, you know, coughing. You ever had a cough in the morning from your car? Well, you can't give it cough drops. It doesn't heal it. And then it got a little better as it warmed up. So I thought, you know, pet the car. Be okay, Betsy. You know, you talk to your car when you want to get it moving. In time, I stopped at a store, and I thought, well, it would be fine. As I stopped there, it wasn't fine. I restarted the car, and it coughed more, began to surge a little bit. I said, that's not the sound I want from my car, especially on this nice, cold day. You know, life is in the business of spending time. You spend time here, you go there, and so on and such. But when life is done, you've spent your time, right? So we better spend it well. And so I was using the currency of my time trying to get my errands done, and now I had this problem with my car that was not working the way I wanted to. It was sputtering. Now, you notice how your car sputters? You can sputter. My car's not doing good. Come on, car, you're supposed to do better. And it brings out that innate negativity in you that is part of the flesh that we all have. So when I came out, I started the car, and it was sputtering, kind of like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the old Ian Fleming movie that went nowhere. But it wasn't funny. I tried putting fuel additive in the car. I'm supposed to take all the carbon out. I put two rounds of it in. Didn't do a thing. 
I then tried putting more fuel out of it in the car, and then I swapped out the ignition coil with some tools I bought to justify buying tools. You see, when you have car trouble, you can explain to your wife, I need some tools instead of going to the mechanic. She says, go ahead. And gentlemen, buy as many tools as you can when you have that opportunity. Now, the ignition coil didn't change the problem. So I got my tools out there, you know, and it was real cold. And this was the Arctic, frigid, cold day. And I spilled all of my sockets right down into my engine cavity. I took an hour and a half finding all but three of them. I have no idea where the others are. So finally, I swapped out the ignition coil. It was not the ignition coil. Nothing wrong. And then I went to my mechanic shop, and I had his son change my spark plugs, knowing, of course, that the ignition coil wasn't the problem. That didn't work either. And so it looked like it was the fuel injectors, you know, the process of elimination. So he said it was. It has to be this. You know, the ignition coil is not this, not the spark plugs, and so on. But he couldn't work on it until the next week. He says, go ahead and drive it. So I called my mechanic brother on the phone. I said, look, I've got this appointment with my mechanic. I want to get it scripted right. He said, Mike, this is what you've got to do. My brother Tim is a master mechanic. I wish he lived near here. He'd do all my mechanic work. He said, lay it out clearly to the person you're going to talk to, Mike. Do exactly as what I say. You may be the theologian, but I'm the mechanic. He said, have them do a compression check on the engine cylinders, number one. Number two, then have them check the timing to see if the timing belt has jumped. Number two, in that order, Mike. And if that isn't one or two, you move to number three. After that, have them check the fuel injectors by switching them to the other side, not buying new fuel injectors. Switch them to see if they're bad. Make them do it. I said, well, Tim, what if they don't? He says, make them do it. He says, Mike, I'm your brother. I'm a good mechanic. I know what I'm talking about. Do it in that order and stick to it just as I have said. You know, it's funny, my brother's a mechanic who works in a diamond mine up in Canada. And I've tried to get some of those diamonds from his diamond mine, you know. But what I get is good mechanical advice when I call him. So I came back that Monday with my car and I said it just like my mechanic brother had laid it out. One, two, three. And I felt pretty good about that. I was scripted. Check the compression and check the timing belt to see if it has jumped. And then you check the fuel injectors in that order, sir. Please, thank you. Well, it's not what happened. Mechanics don't like getting marching orders from other mechanics or from people who are not mechanics, like pastors. You know, and preachers don't like getting marching orders from preachers either, do they? It's kind of human. There was a little hasty analysis, and the diagnosis was the fuel injectors. So I agreed to have them swapped out for a sizable penny. You can tell this is kind of like a horror story that's developing. Voila! After the fix, the problem was still there. At that point, the search began to figure it out for real and in earnest, and I had spent a lot of money on some mistakes. Another diagnosis was made, and this time it was the timing belt. It had jumped, sure enough. But when the timing belt was put on the car, the problem was still there. You see, it had damaged the car deeper in. The engine had been replaced by my mechanic before, and so it looked really bad for him. Have you ever had this happen to you? When this kind of thing happens, it is real easy for me to fight for my personal rights. Are you like me? Hey, I paid for this. It's my right, right? And people can tell you it's your right. Fight for it. Well, I paid for a good engine. That shop put it in, right? I should have expected a good timing belt job, right? Uh, I told you what to look for. I could have said that, right? I was clear to you, sir, right? 
I gave you the right advice, right? I was right. You were wrong. Now my rights matter. Wrong. Because that's not what it's about. Dear heart, there's only one thing wrong with all of that kind of talk. It's the word I and my rights that's wrapped around I. It doesn't matter to God because God could care less about I when there are so many me's and I's in the world who matter just as much as you and me. You see, there are more I's in the world than just me. And Jesus died for every one of those I's just like he died for me. You see how easy it is to slip into the flesh, to be governed by a principle of self-interest, and to forget that we are ambassadors for grace in the world, and that the troubles and circumstances of our lives become the divine opportunity to share the living Christ. And it is not human to think that way. And I had to struggle with this. And so I began the journey of a difficult fix that was not about me altogether, but about the eyes in Christ's eyes that matter as much as me. As I got to know the second assistant mechanic, I discovered that he's a Christian man. He had grown up on the island of Haiti, and he had listened to the radio on occasion here in the D.C. area, so he'd heard me. And it's funny, he also was aware of the name Mark Finley, a friend of mine who is a media evangelist in the same network at the present time. And so he knew about my church, my friend, and now he had a chance to know me, too, by how I treated him. Not the persona that he would hear, but who I would be for him in the real interaction of something that was not right. Not the me he hears on radio. I have to confess to you today that I wanted to get my money back and my car fixed real quick and get over this thing. I still don't have my car. This Christmas we kept our pledge for the radio and it was sizable. We kept our pledge for capital stewardship. It was sizable. Isn't it funny how you think of stuff like that when you think, well, the Lord should bless me because I gave A, B, and C. You ever do that? But sometimes the Lord challenges you when you give A, B, and C to see what your attitude will be. To make matters worse, our dog Smokey required surgery just before Christmas to save his life. That was our Christmas. Smokey's alive. So he saved my son from a grizzly bear, so we saved his life so he could have his joint rebuilt, basically, so he could survive. And he's alive, and we're happy he is. So I didn't have any wiggle room for a mechanic to make a mistake of this huge magnitude or a series of mistakes that became a misdiagnosis that threw us into a real challenge. But the problem with all of this focus on I, and not on Him or God's providence, is that God was doing something in the mix that was more important than the fix that I thought I needed. You see, sometimes what we need is not what we seek, it's what He gives us. My mechanic's assistant works for a boss, and he could lose his job over a mistake like I could in different circumstances. And so I became the vehicle in a sense where I could have spoke doom for this man's career if I didn't handle it right. Now, I've made mistakes in my life too. Have any of you made mistakes? Like me, the assistant mechanic from Haiti is a family. And like me, he has hopes and dreams for his children. And like me, it was Christmas time. It was New Year's for him. He too was struggling. That mechanic from Haiti is not a rich man. And me, that is I, recovering from his mistake at his expense means his harm and his hurt and maybe his harm to me in a more profound kind of way because our lives are intertwined. So I had to start thinking about what it means to interact with others who that God loves as much as he loves me because someone has to eat the mistake to fix the car that is really a test of what kind of me I choose to be in this situation. As the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, I decided to focus on him instead of me that day. So I invited him out to eat to get to know him. That cost money. 
And as a person in my life, rather than just a technician who works on my car, I begin to view him that way. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. As I went out to eat with him after work, I learned that he is a caring father. And his name is Mario. Very caring father. And he worries about his son, just like I care about my two sons. We suddenly had commonality at the table. It felt like Holy Communion, actually. It was. And I could tell he was thinking about his family as I was thinking about mine at the end of the day. How would he manage this crisis? How would it affect his family at this time of his life? Suddenly it hit me. Why not order pizza for his whole family and make their day and pay for his meal too? That's exactly what I did as I gained a friend that day. It wasn't easy in light of the accumulating costs. It cost a little more to do that. But as we ate together, you know, the bitterness of it and the frustration began to slip away into the fellowship of communion that was happening. I no longer saw him as the assistant mechanic who made a mistake on my car. He had been transformed in my mind by communion. I saw him as a friend who was working on my car to help me as someone like me who needed God's grace. Like me and his worries, he had him too. And he shared with me that it really doesn't matter. He said, Pastor Mike, he began to call me Pastor Mike. It really doesn't matter. If I make any money in life, he says, what matters is I want my children to have an education and make it in life. I said, man, that resonates with me as well. He said, I came from poverty in Haiti, and my daughter is a diplomat for my country. He was proud of his daughter. He said, I put her through college. I did it. I'll never go to college like that, but I put her through college so she could have a life better than the one I grew up with. It's noble. I confided in him that I grew up in poverty in this country in a similar kind of way like he did. He began to smile. He couldn't believe it. In this country, he grew up in poverty. I said, Appalachia. And so we began to compare our life stories. We both knew what it was like to be hungry. We both knew what it was like to go fishing to fix the problem. We both left our home to get an education, and we both sacrificed to surmount the challenges and get ahead. He became a mechanic. I became a pastor. But the journey was so similar And like me, he put his children before his future in education. He made career choices that made sure he could love his kids more than get ahead. And like me, he realized he could have gone further if his family was not the most important thing in life next to God. I mean, I felt a friend here suddenly. That week, a day later, I turned 55. It was, in fact, it was the day before my birthday, January 9, we're reading. My birthday was January 10. Now, 55 is a major milestone for me in my life. I'm now 55. When I go to the thrift store now, I will have a senior citizen discount (laughs) on the right days, okay? AARP will sign me up this year for senior citizen discounts everywhere. I'm not going to sign up. While that sounds good to them, it doesn't sound good to me, and I'll tell you why. You see, I have a life dream, and the word senior citizen does not fit into my life goals. It doesn't. I dreamed all my life to get a Ph.D. in New Testament studies. It didn't happen. And my Greek is good, my Hebrew is good, my Aramaic is sound. I'm still a student. 
I'm 55 years of age now. You know, I spent the last 17 years fighting with lawyers to get this church up. And our senior attorney said, you ought to just take the bar exam. I said, no, I don't want to do that. You know, the needs of others can take the place of a dream at times. Can it not? And midlife is when you begin to rifle through it in your head. And every year I squeezed in a little time here and there to research for a book that might have got me that degree. I've been working on a book for 10 years. In time I wrote the book. It's 1,500 pages long. It's not quite finished yet. Those are single space pages. No double space pages. It's a scholarly work. Because the journey has been long until now. You know, I've been working on it in a hospital room in between court fights here and there. I set the project aside for a year because my brother, who was struggling with addiction, needed my prayers. You know, he went into surgery. He got these meds and he got hooked on those meds. I know what that feels like because I almost got hooked on meds over 10 years ago when I had back surgery. By God's grace, I'm not. By different circumstances, he was. And so I had a choice to make. My brother was more important to me than finishing a book. He died shortly after my birthday this year, as many of you know. And it's not Tim, it's my brother Jonathan. And I don't regret that year of loving him and trying to save his life. Three rehabs, struggling to help him get through this. You know, single-space pages of biblical analysis and research in a 1,500-page manuscript is an unfinished book for me today. You know, we write another book in life. It's the one that really matters. I did not write my book on the New Testament where I wanted to get a Ph.D., but in the Old Testament where I had to grow to know what was going on in Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the Mare Chazon vision that points to Jesus in the New Testament is the subject of this book. People with Ph.D.s have used my book, and it's been used as textbook material at the seminary. I have not fully written my own book. Isn't that funny? You have a manuscript, and they cite your unfinished manuscript, but you just can't quite finish your own book. This year it hit me. I'm talking to you. You mind if I talk to you here? I will never get that Ph.D. I'm quite sure of that. Life is not scripted that the way I wanted it to go down. Friend, life is in the Son of God. And God is wholly committed to a journey where I can behold the Lamb of God. That's the thing that matters most. And so there are changes in life. There are interruptions in life. There are circumstances that redirect us. And somehow God is in the journey if we're patient enough because God wants us at the end of that journey to see the eyes of His mercy. When I was a young man, I wrote a poem about an unfinished book. It's more about life than a book. I wrote a lot of poetry. Most of my poetry was destroyed in an arson right where this platform is at. Do you realize that? The old arson that hit that house was right here. And I lost most of my poetry at that time in my library. I found this poem in an old sermon where it survived. This one survived. The title of the poem is The Stairway. And the subject of the poem is the book we all write in life that needs to be written. The poem itself appears as an unfinished poem. It's called The Stairway, as I said. The church bell tolled eleven strong. And to my desk the call came home. I closed my book of right and wrong, and to the stairway all alone I walked the solitary hall. My legs before with ease had borne me firmly down the flight. Refreshed I crossed the hall intent no more, those steps to make my plight. Refreshed no more I once again had come. Set there before me spiraled high the course that I alone must plod before the sleep I'd long deny 
That stairway I must now defy. Fatigued, I pause beneath the steps. Now chambers high above await and drowsy forms anticipate my silence laggardly to take. But still, although the hour is late and lethargy my certain fate, I wish I could finish my book. Isn't that something? You know, we all want to get something done. Am I right? And we all have a life dream to get it done. Now here, when I was sitting with that mechanic at that table, I was thinking about those things. Midlife thoughts. How can I get certain things done? Suddenly it hit me. You know what matters most at this moment in time? Is that man. God has placed you in the center of a universe that's not about you. He's placed you in the center of a universe that's about him. And so I sat there at the table talking to a man from Haiti who had dreams and concerns a whole lot like mine, just as important to the God of heaven. And how would I view him as primary or secondary to my own thoughts? This kind and noble man came from that place that was condemned a couple of weeks ago in a slip of the mouth that revealed the heart of a politician who needs Christ. There's utterly no excuse for what we heard that made national news not long ago about Haiti. The dear people of Haiti are dear people to Jesus Christ, are they not? And God loves them, and we ought to love them. And I have no patience when I hear any person denigrate a people because of their poverty. It is not the kind of place that makes the news unless someone defames it, as we heard, or an earthquake takes thousands of lives. As I learned to get to know my mechanic friend from Haiti, I discovered that he is really a good mechanic and an honest man. The mistake wasn't a mistake at all, because as I began to see it with better eyes, it was providence that led me to know him in this way. And so I learned that his son is struggling with a serious health problem. And he learned that he could trust me to pray for his son, Dimitri. And so I added him to my prayer list. I mean, it's something. And that happened at a table, a table which was for us a communion table. I prayed for his son and my sons and his wife and my wife and our families. And somehow my friend, Mario, my mechanics assistant. I prayed for his life, and he prayed for my life, and there was warmth there. And I prayed for Jesus to guide his family as I seek God to guide me and my family. And when the prayer was over, I told him not to worry about the car, but to take the pizza home to his family. I said, God will take care of my car. I need the mind of Christ today. And God will help you and me as we work together to fix it. So we left. That's what I told him. Actually, he drove me home because I didn't have a car. But it was nice having his company all the way home. That's what I told him. Now, that was easier said than done. Why? Because I am a human being, too, and money matters to me like it does to you and everyone else. Right? Right? Yeah. Come on. Be real with me. But life is not about money. Right? It's about how you write your book of life. You know, we all have a book. we got to write it right. I wish I could finish it. Well, you know what? Finish it the right way. The book that matters is the one that is a record of how we interact with each other. And we all have good pages and bad pages in our book. More profoundly, we need Jesus to have His blood over our life in our book. My friend's boss loaned me his truck so I could get around as a pastor that week. Not this week. I couldn't get it. So that week I learned that there was a major mechanical problem with my car. You know how easy it is to refresh what someone else did to you accidentally? I got the call that Friday that the engine was severely damaged and needed a valve replacement. Turns out a whole head assembly. On the way to the mechanic's shop that Friday morning, I began to think in the flesh. Come on. You ever do that? I've done it before and so have you. And I was struggling. 
Not long ago, I read a chapter in the Desire of Ages on the childhood of Jesus. A profound statement was made in that chapter that came to my mind. That Jesus did not contend for his own rights. Why do you have to read stuff like that when you've got to get your car fixed, you know? Devotions aren't supposed to meddle with your head at this level. Now, I've definitely contended for the rights of others, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. To be the advocate of the weak, the advocate of others, when God calls you to be, is fine. But when it's your own rights, it's different. But God would not have me contend for my rights all the time and be at war with his mercy and love in someone else's life when I can turn the other cheek and I can do what Jesus said to do when called to do it. And so I had a choice to make that Friday. Would I press my rights or seek God's way through the problem to find the right path that is the mind of Christ? I called my son Donald on the phone and told him what happened. Now, Donald, not a real fan of my mechanic, I said, son, I'm on the way to see my mechanic. He said, oh, no. I said, son, I want you to pray for me because I want the mind of Christ more than I want to fix this car on my own terms. I heard him gulp on the other side. And yet I need to fix this car, son. Now, my son Donald's a fighter, but this time I heard him say something different, and it helped me to hear it. He said, Dad, this is not what I would normally do. You know this. But this is the right thing to do. And then he prayed for me in Jesus' name. Oh, that was huge. Unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of Behold the Lamb. Join us again next time for the conclusion. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered, biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching yourheart.com 888-244-HOPE that's 888-244-4673 you can donate right there on the website reaching yourheart.com 888-244-HOPE thanks for listening and as always we do pray that God is reaching your heart